Hey, Traders Point family, so thankful that you were able to join us today for this really special conversation uh, with a great friend of mine, and he's certainly no stranger to our church, Pastor Kenny Hart from The Gathering in Harlem, New York. Uh, Kenny, thanks so much uh, for joining us today, brother. I appreciate you taking the time. Man, it's an honor to be here, AB. You know, TPCC is family for life. It's my honor to be able to come bless the church um, and to hopefully be helpful and it's a difficult time that we're all in as a, as a country. Yeah, absolutely. I know, I know you will be. Hey, and uh, uh, you were supposed to actually be here this Sunday to preach in person. I had you booked like eight months ago for this particular yes. weekend. Yes. And in God's providence, and, you still are. And, and one pandemic canceled it, but then another pandemic um, created the opportunity created for the me opportunity. to be with you. Wow. So we're That's here. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I know that uh, you know our, uh, so many of our people have uh, heard you preach uh, a couple different times because you usually uh, come in for me at least once or twice a year. But for anybody yeah. that may not know who you are, just uh, tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, your family, and uh, the church. Absolutely. So um, I'm Pastor Kay. Uh, that's what they call me here in Harlem. Um, I am um, our church, The Gathering, is two years old. Traders was our very first partner. Mm. Um, we are now um, seeing about 400 people coming every week, two services. Um, it's been amazing growth. I have a beautiful family. Um, I have three boys and one girl. Mm. Um, and I have a lovely wife who I've been married to for 10 years. I mean, y'all pray for her because if y'all think, <laughs> <laughs> if you think you got it bad, trust me, she got to deal with me and three boys. So oh, no she doubt. got it bad. Um, and so, but God has been so faithful to me. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Harlem is my native um, um, birthplace, but I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And so, um, for me to be where I am right now, having these conversations, leading the church and speaking into um, centuries old problems um, mm-hmm. like race and racism in our country, it just boggles my mind that mm-hmm. somebody who, who in college had a 1.7 GPA um, could, be, <laughs> <laughs> could be speaking with any kind of coherence and clarity mm-hmm. um, and compellingness in a moment like this. So Absolutely. I just thank God because I am literally the product of grace. Oh man, absolutely. That's so well said. And I love your wife. She's such a sweetheart. Uh, yes. Tell, give her my, give her my love and uh, your beautiful kids. Absolutely. I haven't been able to see your baby yet, so. I know my baby girl, man. Yeah. I'm just, I'm one of those, I'm a girl dad now, guys. That's like right. all the girl dads in the building, y'all know what I'm talking about. It's just. It's different. That's right. That's right. Well, man, I love it. And, uh, you know, we're so excited about uh, the work that's happening in your church. But yeah. uh, you and I, um, we met about five years ago. And uh, that's kind of what began, like, our friendship and our partnership. Right. And uh, I will never forget the day that I met <laughs> Pastor Kenny Hart. Uh, I was in New York Lord. City uh, for <laughs> a board meeting. And they're like, they're like, hey, there's this guy. He's this, uh, he's aspiring church planner. And yeah. we were all going to a Yankees game. And they were like, hey, yeah. he's gonna come with us. You were late. And I was like, late. I was late. You, I was. You, you showed I, up. I was on CP time. I was on CP time. <laughs> it's not late. It's CP time. <laughs> <laughs> so you like showed up, and uh, you had come from the office, and you had your uh, laptop with you, and we went straight to the ballpark as as a big group. And uh, everybody like goes in and then you get stopped at security because you got your uh, laptop. And so you're like, okay, I'm gonna try to go around to another door. And I just went with you. And that was actually how our friendship began. You remember that? I, do I remember that? Yes. I, re- I mean, I mean, you got all the you got all the hood points in the world with me that day. I mean, you walk with me, you walk with me through the hood. I was like, yo, look at this guy. I was like, yo, I love him. I'm like, yo, I'm like, yo, pastor of a church in Indianapolis, white guy walking with me through the hood. 
and we had to go through different places too to find somewhere to drop my bag off and yeah. he was riding with me the whole way no security no nothing just it's <laughs> being real yeah and from that point on our friendship was born that's right that's right well you know we had a great conversation that night which has led to so many different conversations over the years right. uh, where, yes. you know, you and I have been on the phone a lot. We've been in person. Yep. We've had we've had meals together. And that's just one of the things yep. that I've just appreciated. I've learned uh, so much from you. And I really feel like, too, like um, uh, God's brought our paths together in various ways because, you, you know, yes. in... in in the, some of those initial conversations, like I grew up in this uh, town in Southwest Missouri, which is where you went to play baseball. And that's Crazy. actually, isn't that like where you gave your life to Christ was? It is. In my hometown. It, was, it is. In Joplin, Missouri. In Joplin, Missouri, which is like. That's why I got baptized. It's where everything started. That's so bizarre to me. Like, you know, when it you is. told me that, I was like, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. I also got my call of ministry in Joplin. So oh, wow. all of that happened in Joplin, yep. That's amazing. I did too. I got my call in Joplin. <laughs> well, makes sense. The, so so uh, the gathering Harlem, you guys are two yep. years old? Two years old, man. Two years old, 400 Dude, people. We're toddlers. Terrible you, twos. Doing, <laughs> you guys are, you, no doubt. You guys are doing an amazing work there. Uh, I get, I get the uh, privilege of being on your advisory board. So yeah. just love to see uh, how God is working in and through you guys. And, uh, yeah. and it's been an honor for our church to, to be partnering with you. So uh, we're just excited about uh, the ministry that God's continuing to do through you. And great leaders yeah. emerge in the midst of crisis. And I've watched you Amen. step up in the midst of these uh, past few months with the pandemic. And you guys have been doing wow. amazing work and uh and then now we've got um a pandemic with all of the tensions race. around yes. race. We, we we have our other pandemic we, we mm. we're dealing with the pandemic of COVID 19 mm. and then in the middle of that pandemic uh, our original pandemic COVID 16 19 mm. wow wow raise this ugly head yes so yes. So, so we're dealing with both pandemics. Trying to navigate through all that. And I think you and I talked on the phone this past week about how um, one of the things that I think is a challenge and an opportunity, the challenge is, is that everybody I think is running on emotional fumes due yeah. to the pandemic. And then yep. you've got this other pandemic that's cropped up. And so everybody's yep. like, has no emotional reserves. And yet at the same time, I think God in his... Uh, um, uh, divine way is is creating this opportunity for us to hopefully make some real progress, to have some real conversations, to make some real change yeah. through it. And so I'm grateful for uh, your voice and and uh, yeah, absolutely. Tell, tell Thank us a little you. bit. Yeah, tell us a little bit about what you guys have uh, going on uh, this weekend. <laughs> so today we are in the process of of doing a peaceful protest. Um, through the streets of Harlem. And we have about 15 churches. Um, and there's many more that may actually come that we don't know are coming right now from all around the city, mm -hmm. cross-denominational, cross-color. We have Asian churches, we have white churches, we have black churches, we have Latino churches. So we literally have um, every color, class, and creed mm -hmm. um, that's gonna come out with us and March for Justice. And the whole point of it is um, we believe that the Church of Jesus should pray and should also protest. We believe that Jesus mm. turns over tables mm. and turns the other cheek. Mm. And and so we have to be able to um, sort of desanitize Jesus and put Jesus back in his historical context and really see, mm. okay, what was it about Jesus that was that was so different, that made his movement so radical? Mm. And, and I think that um, there's a place for the church to peacefully protest and to set the tone 
um, for what change in society should look like. Yeah. We should be leading that conversation. Yeah, amen, amen. And I think that, you know, when it comes to issues like this, the church needs to lead the way in, we do. in how to have a conversation and in leading the right kind of change. And, you know, you and I both know that, you know, this is like navigating a minefield for various different reasons. It is. And I think that I would want everybody to know that, you know, you and I are not politicians. We are pastors. Oh. And both of us feel the call to shepherd not only ourselves and our families, but our people uh, through tense issues like this. We have to. Uh, to. The the gospel requires it. And so we we want to uh, navigate this to help our people um, to repent um, and to reconcile and to ultimately seek reformation of systems that are unjust, that hurt people. Uh, Because uh, the gospel isn't just about having our sins forgiven so we can go to heaven one day when we die. It's about being made new from the inside out. And, uh, you know, at uh, the day of Pentecost that we've talked so much about over this past week, which was we celebrated last Sunday, uh, we see that the very event that was the birth of the early church, there were two big markers of that day and that event. Talk about it. And that where there were people that were there from different ethnicities and the spirit of God fell freshly upon them. And that's yes. what we want the church today to look like. We need it to be representative of different ethnicities. It's God's people, yes. it's God's kingdom. And when that happens, the spirit of God falls freshly upon it. And we will not actually find solutions to these issues without those things happening. Absolutely, bro. And the, and, and the day of Pentecost is so relevant for this conversation, AB, because Pentecost is not only where the church was born, but it's also the blueprint for how the church should look, mm. right? Mm. Like, like, like Pentecost... Pentecost wasn't a, a aberration. It was the design. It was God's original design for the church. And so um, the spirit falls, yes, on the disciples, but then the spirit then moves them out into the community to speak other people's languages, mm-hmm. to speak languages, not yeah. their own, A.B., yeah. and, and, and speaking the language of, of African and German and Dutch yeah. and, and, and every other people group that may have been represented at Pentecost they were doing the work that the church was called ultimately mm. to do, which is to re-socialize us mm. out of a, a sort of uh, a, a race-centered way of thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the apostles were all Jews, mm-hmm. right? And so in their mind, they're, as Hebrews, they're, they're thinking this is, where, this is where the kingdom is. The mm. kingdom is for the Hebrews. Mm. And the Holy Spirit said, no, yeah. the kingdom is for every tribe, nation, and tongue. Yep. And you have to go out and learn to speak the language. Yep of the people that I'm calling you to reach. And so how can the church, which began with the seed Mm. of diversity grow into a tree of homogeneity? To me, that's a perfect segue to the conversation on race because we didn't get here by accident. There were historical steps that we took to get to the place where now it's perfectly natural to have all black churches, all white churches, Mm. all Latino churches, all Asian churches, all Indian churches. It's perfectly natural, right? For us Mm. to think about that now. But in those days, it was it was absurd. Right. It right. was absurd to think that the church could not have Jew and Gentile together. Right. Right. That yeah. was absurd. Right. The question wasn't should we be diverse, but how do we be diverse? Right. 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 Like, do, do Gentiles need to get circumcised? Can they eat meat, sacrifice to idols? Mm-hmm. But not should we all be in the same body of community, sharing the same struggles? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Amen. I mean, I love and I, I love your your observation there too about like the gift of tongues. That, that at times has gotten twisted into something it pretty has. unhealthy in our day. It, it which, it's like this like personal worship experience where I'm speaking <laughs> in tongues. But it's yeah. like, it, originally it was like, it was missional. 
It was like, it was miserable. you know, God gave me this gift to be able to cross a boundary of somebody else's yes. ethnicity to be able to communicate with them. AB, and that's why we get lost, right? We lose the power of Pentecost because we get lost in these denominational divisions, yeah. right? And, and, and this organizational chaos that's called denominations, right? Mm -hmm. Like we get lost sometimes in that and we lose sight of the greater mission, right? The whole point of the gift of tongues was to take the church cross-cultural. Yep. Yep. And to teach it how to go cross-cultural without being colonial, yeah. mm. right? To go cross-cultural and not teach the native to speak English mm -hmm. or right, not teach the native to speak Hebrew, but to go cross-cultural and learn the native's language. Right, right. That's a whole nother way to be missional. Yep, absolutely. That's how the church should look. Absolutely. And so today it may not necessarily, I mean, it could be a different language, but it, yeah. it's more chances are, it's more of a perspective. So it's That's like it. you and I live, uh, you know, you live in Harlem, I live in Indianapolis, um, yeah. you know, you're uh, African-American. Well, actually you can tell us a little bit more about your, your background here in just a minute. Yeah, um, yeah. I think there's, that's a great story. I'm that's Caucasian. I'm actually like French Canadian, I think. There was, that's about a, to say, yeah, it's exactly. a whole long story. It's the, yeah. it's the hair, but all right. But, uh, well, so that's where, the, that's where the lovely hair comes from. The, from, yes. Just the hair that just flows, I don't know the model less. I don't know if it's the French or the Canadians. <laughs> I'm not sure. But I, but I do know, like you and I both speak English, but we grew up in very different worlds, even though we grew up yes. in the same country. And so it's yes. like, I need the spirit of God to actually give me the ability to, to say, hey man, like I need, to, I need to learn. I need to know what it's like, yeah. what it's been like. And I think that, that's really the essence of this conversation because yeah. uh, you know, I think that it's so easy for us nowadays to um, get defensive. And uh, speaking yeah. as a white person, and I talk to a lot of white people, they get really, really defensive around this subject because we want to take it. Um, we think that it's like maybe a personal attack or yeah. it's all individual. And so it's like yeah. immediately, I don't know how many times I hear this, you know, it's like, well, I'm not a racist or mm. I don't, I don't think that, or I've worked really hard. I don't have white privilege. I know all this stuff. Yeah. I like black people. You know, I, I yeah. would never distinct, I would never pre be prejudiced against somebody's skin color. And we, we are uh, tone deaf in the sense mm. that we're coming across as very insensitive. It, yeah. it's, it's sort of like, you know, you and I've had this conversation around, like we want to jump to reconciliation, which is great. We love to reconcile. Great. But you can't, gospel thing. It's a gospel thing. It's what Jesus died on the cross for. However, we can't get to reconciliation without a couple of steps prior to that, which is uh, repentance, um, which is uh, empathy, which yeah. is listening. So yeah. like, let's just take, you know, the racial tension out of it. Like you, you and I both know, we, we both married way up, all right? Way and up. There, there are days whenever we offend our wives, we've hurt our mm -hmm. wives, and, uh, and much of the time, it wasn't even intentional. We no. didn't mean to do it, but nope. if we want to jump towards, hey, baby, let's go to dinner, and let's just reconcile, yeah. and let's just, you know, it didn't yeah. get, you and I both know, that ain't going to happen until we, nah. do the hard, until we do the hard work of repentance. We don't call it repentance, but it's, that's what it is. Yes. It's like, yes. you know, we need, to, we need to listen. We need to hear them out. We need to process. And I think yes. it's the same thing uh, when it comes to Absolutely. this Absolutely. Absolutely. And then put it into the context of the historical framework. And you have 400 years of wrongs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now to jump to 400 years of wrongs and say, well, we had a black president. Or mm -hmm. 400 years of wrongs and say, well, look at the progress we've made. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it's hard to 
it's hard to acknowledge that we had this one. You took me out to dinner, but mm. look at all of the ways you've ignored me up until this point. Mm. And so there's mm. still, and when the ignoring happens, even after you took me out to dinner, even after a black president, we still have to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. It tells us that we really haven't addressed the root of the problem. Right, right, for sure. Yeah. So um, I think that, you know, you, you know this at our church, like our, we've got these three statements that have really kind of defined who we are as a church, where we want to be humble, we want to be hungry, and we want to be healthy. And it's just, we got it on t-shirts, like you know, it's like the big mantra. Um, yeah. But uh, recognizing that uh, healthy is the, the, the last one for a reason, that we, mm. we can't get healthy until we're first humble slash right. repent. And yep. we, we've got to, we're not going to get healthy if we're not hungry, which is yep. this desire to see the mission of God accomplished in and through our church. And so it's a very similar thing. We want to be healthy. Mm. We want to see the tensions resolved. We want to see this, this issue um, find a resolution. We're not going to get right. there without first being humble and hungry. And so I just want to encourage all of our people listening in on this, where, whatever angle they may be coming from. And I know they're emotionally exhausted and spent yeah. and seen all kinds of stuff on social media and have probably had comments and attacks and side conversations mm. and microaggressions and all this stuff that everybody's defenses are up. I just want everybody just to take a deep breath. In fact, just mm. take a deep breath. Just and just recognize, go. all right? Like I'm not going to get I'm not going to get defensive in this conversation. Like the, yeah. the the thing that we need to do is say even if I hear something that might hurt or I disagree mm. with, I'm not going to jump on it immediately or mm. say yeah but mm. um I want to listen. Yeah. And I want to say, you know what? I I want to say to you as my brother, like as a as a white man in America, I've not yeah. had the same experience as you do. And so yeah. I can't possibly speak into that. I need to Your first, experience. I need to listen. There's a leadership yeah. principle that says we need to seek to understand. That's right. Seek to understand. And that's right. That's what we desire. And not be understood. Right. Right. Seek right. to understand and not be understood. That's right. That's right. So I want to read uh, a passage yes. that I think is foundation, foundational here out of Matthew chapter 25. And uh, these are Jesus' words. And he says, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in yeah. prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did to one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. That's so good. Kenny, what, what do you think Jesus is trying to communicate there uh, to us from that passage? That's a great question. I think Jesus is doing something radical here. And, mm -hmm. and what he's doing is um, here's the king, mm -hmm. right? The king of, of, of not just Israel, but the world, the king of the cosmos, the king of kings, mm -hmm. the king of kings and lord of lords, mm -hmm. who is saying as the king of kings and lord of lords, um, what you do for the least among you, for the last among you, for the lost among you, you mm. do for me. Mm. Um, what, what you do for the person at the bottom of the totem pole, what you do for the person who can't pay you back, what you do for the person that you have been taught to hate or taught is not worthy of it or taught that shouldn't get that opportunity. What you do for them, mm. you do for me. To me, it's one of the most radical statements Jesus ever made. Wow. And it's actually um, at the center of how I, of my theology mm. and how I think about the faith and how I think about my role as a pastor and our role as a church. I think from the standpoint of Matthew 25, mm. I think that way because what we see in scriptures, we see a God 
who tells the story of oppression from the perspective of the oppressed. Mm. And it's a powerful shift that the most powerful being in the universe would speak from the lowest possible platform. Wow. Right? Like the story of, 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 of Egypt, right? The story of Israel in bondage for 400 years in Egypt, it's not told from the Egyptian perspective. Mm. It's told from the Israeli perspective. Mm-hmm. It's told from the oppressed perspective. The story of Babylonian captivity is not told from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective. Mm-hmm. It's told from Daniel's perspective, mm-hmm. right? The, the perspective of being oppressed by the Romans is not told from Caesar's perspective. Mm-hmm. It's told from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's perspective. Yeah. And, and, so and there is this, and, and what Jesus is doing is tapping into this biblical tradition that God says that I am a God of the oppressed and I am a God that defends widows and I'm a God that protects orphans and I'm a God that fights for the least, the last and the lost. And I'm a liberator. I, that, that is, I'm a God of justice, mm-hmm. right? That, that what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, love mm-hmm. mercy and walk humbly with your God, that, that this is who I am at my core. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, Jesus was tapping into that when he said, man, at the end of your life, I don't want to know how big your church was how many followers you had, how much influence you had, how much money you made, um, how, many, uh, 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 how many things you did or accomplished businesses you started. He said, I only got six questions. When I was hungry, did you feed me? Mm-hmm. When I was thirsty, did you give me something to drink? Mm-hmm. When, I was, when I was incarcerated, did you visit me? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a powerful question. In, yes. in an era of mass incarceration where um, I, I think in the next, within the next five years, one out of every four black men in this country will have a criminal record. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a powerful question, mm-hmm. right? When I was incarcerated, did you visit me? Yeah. Um, um, when I was an immigrant, um, like he says the word stranger, but that word can be translated from the Greek mm-hmm. as immigrant, mm-hmm. right? We have all these conversations nationally about borders and about, you know, what should we do with immigration and all of that. And Jesus says, when I was an immigrant, did you let me in? Yeah. yeah. Did you have mercy on me, right? Yeah. And, and so these are the only things he cares about. And he says, what you did for them you did for me. It's the most powerful, radical thing that Jesus may have said. Right. In his- right. Absolutely. And then he, and then he totally backs it up, you know, with the yes. cross. Yes. And, you know, I've thought about that before. Like essentially what, you know, you know, Jesus could have done, but he didn't, you know, was he, he could have said, man, like I didn't sin. Like, wow. I'm gonna, why, why should I go to a cross? Like I didn't. Yeah. And yet he was like, you know, no, I'm going to go to a cross for offenses that I never personally committed to pay the wow. price to, to, to uh, set people free. And I wow. think that, I think that what ends up happening, you and I've talked about this before, like, you know, we're not talking about being like anti-American or anti-patriotic. We love oh, our country, we but, love our country. but our, but we should, but America is not synonymous with the kingdom of God. That's no. where we make mistakes. And That's so, I, it. so, cause there's no man-made institution, nation, country system, whether it's, you know, socialism or democracy or whatever, that's perfect. It's all flawed no. by sin. So we got to yes. separate that. And it's sort of like, I don't know. I don't know if you're a, a, a NASCAR fan, Kenny. Uh, okay. Uh, but, I, I, we have a girl in our church who works for NASCAR. So. Oh, there we go. There we go. That gives me proximity. Well, you know, this is, this is a racing city in Indianapolis, uh-huh. but you know, whenever you like see specifically the NASCARs, but even like the Indy cars have it, they got sponsorships, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So like the way you race is you got to get sponsorships. And so those yeah. stickers on the car, the bigger the sticker, yeah. the more sponsorship money that car's got. So you, got, got, you yeah. got tons of like little small stickers, like all around, like the back fender or whatever, that's not necessarily very visible. That's a small sponsorship. Then you got the big daddy sticker on the hood. <laughs> That sponsor is keeping them in business. And I think, as, right. I think as Christians, 
we got to recognize that regardless of your political affiliation or party, that is a small sticker. And you got to make sure that the Jesus sticker is on the hood, visible for everybody to see and recognizing what is it that Jesus has called us to. And he has called us to the reconciliation of people. He's called us to be kingdom residents. And so we've got to let it. I mean, I mean, to me, A.B., it's such a powerful thing for us to park at, right? Because mm-hmm. this is not just true at Traders, but this is true in every church, right? Yeah. I battle with this in my church. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the political affiliations may be different based on our context and maybe people voting conservative or people voting liberal, but, but I battle the same thing. And the question becomes that I ask my people is, are you going to be a flag waver or a cross bearer? Mm. Wow. Because, because at the end of the day, there's really only two ways. You know, Jesus says you can't serve God and money. Right. Like there's he said, you're going to love one and forsake the other. Like there's this there's this line in the sand that God says. And he, he doesn't say you can't love your country. In fact, Jesus loved Israel, mm-hmm. He loved Israel. Mm-hmm. At the same time, he said that at, at the same time, he wept over his nation. Mm-hmm. He wept over where Israel was. Right. Mm-hmm. He looked over the nation and looked at the hardness of heart and looked at the oppression in the land and looked at the poor and looked at the marginal and looked at the way that the lepers were treated and women were treated and all these different groups were treated. Yeah. And Jesus wept over that, knowing that he would have to die for it. So so there's a way in which that he says, in order to love my country, this is almost um, I'm Kaepernickian. And I'm just like throwing the head in there. I know that's a bomb to drop. <laughs> right? But but it's almost Kaepernickian where he's saying, if I'm, I'm going to protest where my country's at, mm. not because I don't love my country, mm. but because I do. Yeah. You know, yeah. I love America. Yeah. This is yeah. the only country I know. Yeah. Right. But but there's a way in which um, my experience in America has been clouded by my race and my position in the society. And that experience does not mean I don't love my country. It means that I have to love my country differently. Mm. It means that my love has to change its form. You know, it's not that love is different. It just takes a different form. And so, um, you know, when Kaepernick takes that knee, you know, he's told to do that by a green beret. Mm. Like a lot of people don't know that backstory, but yeah, it was a green beret. Let me, what's his name? Or Nate Boyer. Nate Boyer, the green beret uh, who fought multiple torches, who actually happened to be a white guy, Mm. actually told him, hey, man, here's a way Mm. that you as a football player can peacefully protest. Um, police brutality and things mm-hmm. that you see as problematic in this nation. Mm-hmm. And and that got totally, you know, uh, um, I'm framed as him being unpatriotic or disrespecting the flag when a veteran actually was the one that gave him that mm-hmm. advice to do so. Mm-hmm. But what he was saying by peacefully protesting in this way was, we don't want a riot. We don't want what's happening again, mm-hmm. we, what, what's happening right now. What we want is, is acknowledgement. We want justice. Mm-hmm. We want um, a reform to yeah. come our way. Yeah. And so I think that what, what happens in these conversations is because of where we're positioned racially, mm. um, we come to the conversation about country or we come to the conversation about politics. Or we come to the conversation about race, um, and about the problems or policing or any issue, you name it. Mm-hmm. And we come from totally different perspectives and we're not willing to listen. Yeah. We're not willing to do the work of Pentecost yeah. to, to learn the language of black mm-hmm. if I'm white, mm-hmm. to learn the language of Latino if I'm white or, ver- or vice versa. Right. And so yeah. that's where the challenge becomes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, man, uh, uh, I want to ask you just like three questions here. I think Let's that this would be super helpful. I guess the first question would just be, Kenny, you know, from an African-American's perspective or being black in America, uh, what would you want specifically, I think, uh, for uh, uh, white people? What do you want us to know? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, for me, you know, it's interesting. My story, right? You mentioned it earlier. Yeah. You know, I'm 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 black and Italian. Yeah. 
Um, um, so I'm, you know, my, my grandfather's from Sicily, um, you know, and my mother was born in the Bronx, right? But mm. like my, 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 my uncle had a bakery in Little Italy in the Bronx. Like, wow. I mean, there's something straight out of like, um, like a mobster movie, like, <laughs> just, like Italian, Italian, right? Yeah, something yeah. Like Sopranos or something. <laughs> and so, and so, and so that's my, my actual biological family, right? That's my mother's side of the family. My father's side of the family is, is born and raised in Harlem. And my dad was born in Harlem Hospital. He's black. Um, my great-great-grandmother was a slave, right? So mm. these are um, um, the, the, the narrative of, of, of black struggle and oppression in America runs deep in my blood. But at the same time, this narrative of being Italian and an immigrant mm. that comes to this country also runs through my blood. And, and I think that the challenge and problem with race in America is though I'm biologically equally both, white and black, I'm sociologically black ah mm. uh, yeah yeah for sure I, i'm so i'm sociologically black uh -huh. because when 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 the police see me they don't see a white and black man they see a black man mm. when um when when the bank sees me it doesn't see a white and black man it sees a black man. Mm. um when i put my name on a job application it doesn't see a white and black man it sees a black man yeah. and and so when you're in a society when you're in a society that positions you according to your race, according to how you look, nothing outside of your control. Mm. But yet, you know, deep inside, yo, I got I got other stuff in me. Yeah, this is all you see. Um, you know, it, it begs the question. I think the powerful mm. documentary by Ava DuVernay on um, the Central Park Five, but we call them the exonerated five here in New York. Mm -hmm. um, but the documentary is called When They See Us. Yeah. And to me, that's always been the question of America um, that black people have asked is like, what do you see when you see me? Mm. You know, when, when you see me, what do you see? Yeah. Because um, I think the challenge with race is race at its core um, is about power. You know, we, we always say um, race is real, but it doesn't matter. Mm. But the reality is the opposite is true, mm. AB. Mm. Race is not real, mm. Mm. but yeah, it does yeah. matter. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Race yeah. is not real. Like, like, like the, there is no, uh, there's nothing in my DNA that says that I'm black. There's nothing... And your DNA that says that you're white, right? Mm -hmm. What we have is ethnicity. Mm -hmm. We have cultures. We have French Canadian. That's real, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, me, uh, uh, my people being my mom, my mother's side of the family being from uh, um Sicily. That's real. Yeah. Um, my dad's side of the family being from uh, parts of West Africa. That's real. Yeah. But but this idea of race is a is a sort of pseudoscience that now governs mm. the only way we can perceive and 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 understand each other. And what it does is it, it just puts us in a position of powerful and powerless mm. right it puts us in a position where if i'm white here's where here's what my role is you know jane elliott says um that she does she's the old white lady who marched with mlk and she says that the greatest privilege of being white in america is that you never have to think about being white mm. Mm. wow <clears throat> and that is what it feels like to be black Mm. Right. I had a white pastor friend tell me, Kenny, whenever I have a conversation about race or lead my family into a conversation about race or have a conversation about race with my church, mm -hmm. I have to be intentional. Yeah. Yeah. He said, I have to be intentional with exact words. I just have to exist. Mm. Wow. I just have to go on a job like wow. Ahmaud Arbery did. Wow. I just have to go to the store with a hoodie like Trayvon Martin did. Wow. I just have to um, um, ride in my car and see a police car pull up behind me, knowing that I haven't done anything wrong, I'm a pastor with two degrees, and yet not knowing, and there's great police in here, because I, I want to be clear about that. Like, mm. 
all police are not bad. I think there's a system reform that is yeah. toxic that we need to talk about. But there's the police. I pass it. Amazing police. When I go to traders, mm-hmm. I mean, there's great men and women, retired law enforcement who take care of me. And I know <laughs> that I wouldn't want nobody else by my uh, side. Yeah. And so, and so the reality is there's good men and women in yeah. law enforcement. Yes. That This is not that conversation. Yeah. The conversation is um, um, when there are when there are unpunished acts. The whole system comes into question. Yep. And that's how the black community feels about policing. And so um, when, when being black in America is, is really being um, in a state of otherness, mm. wow. it, it's being it, it's, it's living in a nation that is equally your own, a flag that you pledge allegiance to, um, a country that is as much your birthright as anybody else. Yeah. Yet understanding deeply in your subconscious this dissonance that this country has never really evolved a a a reality in which I fit. Mm. Wow. wow. Like, like we emancipated my ancestors 150 years ago, and yet right after that, the response was brutal segregation and Jim mm. Crow. Yeah. The response was separate but equal. Yeah. And then after that, it wasn't until maybe 50, 60 years ago that we actually got the right to vote, but look at all the blood we had to shed to even get the right to vote. Yeah. And then after that, we're still living in a society where uh, we have to say Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And so and so the question becomes for me is how do I deal with the dissonance of living in a country that I love yeah. yet that doesn't love me back? Mm. Wow. Think wow. of the trauma that you feel. Absolutely. Think of the pain. This is why when we look at the rioting or the looting of black communities and we and we just jump and say, Well, I mean that, uh, look at that, like, like that's just their thugs or that mm-hmm. just takes away from from the movement or that that's a distraction. Well, Yes, but the problem is um, a riot is the language of the unheard, as MLK mm-hmm. once said. Mm-hmm. And so what are they protesting? They're protesting the fact that they have not been listened to yeah. Yeah. for so long yeah. that there is no other thing that they can say. But this is my this is this is the only way to get your attention. Right. This is the only way America will, will see us. Right. Right. And so and so wow. and so I think, A.B., there's this deep, deep tension. You know, Toni Morrison, I think, as I close, um, said it best. She said. To be American is to be white. Mm. And she said, everybody else has to hyphenate. Mm. Wow. That's what it feels like to be black in America. I'm African-American. Right. My wow. wife is Caribbean-American. Wow. My, uh, um, members of our church are Dominican-American right. or Puerto Rican-American or Mexican-American. But who's just American? Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's. Yep. Wow. That's what it feels like. Man, thank thank you for communicating that so well. And I just have to tell you, it makes me emotional. Just you know, hearing that and know, knowing you and loving you like I love you. Um, wow. So thank you, brother. Hey, you, brother. Uh, I want to ask you uh, uh, wow. just one more question here, um, uh, Kenny. Like as a church family and as individuals yeah. and as small groups, like. Um, it, it isn't enough for us just to have a conversation about it or to post something on social media about it. Like, what what can we do? Like, what are some tangible things that we could do maybe tomorrow? And what are some th- tangible things we could do in the coming months? Like, what kind of what kind of action could we could we take? Man, man, that's a powerful question. I mean, really, AB. There's so many different steps. Um, I think we start with repentance. Like, we start where Jesus started. Right? Jesus said, "Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand." Mm-hmm. Um, John the Baptist says, keep with repentance and bear fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, repentance is not a one-time thing. It is, the, it is a daily discipline mm-hmm. of the Christian life. And we don't just repent of things that we have knowingly 
um, committed or, or, or sins that we've only committed, but we repent of things that have historically been done, mm. um, even without any of our knowledge, because what I don't want to come out of this conversation is that the white people listening to me feel guilty mm. because white guilt doesn't change racism in America, mm. right? Guilt is a demotivator, mm. but grace is a motivator. Oh, love it. And yeah. we get grace through repentance, mm. right? And so what I want um, our white people to, to, to do first is repent. And then I want them to answer the question, who's flourishing because you have power? Wow. Wow. Okay, you have been socially positioned in a place of power where just by the color of your skin, it is no fault of your own. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is things and atrocities that ancestors, your ancestors have done in this country that you had nothing to do with. Mm -hmm. And you, you did not own a slave. Mm -hmm. you, did, you, did not, um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you, you did not oppress black people in, in, in the Jim Crow South. You did not have um, um, any of these things going on. You, you did not shoot an unarmed black man. But at the same time, you benefit from a system that does. Mm -hmm. And so the question becomes, Who's flourishing mm. because you have power? Mm. We flourish because Jesus had power. Mm. Oh, wow. And the gospel question for every Christian is, who's flourishing because you have power? Wow. And that's across the board, regardless of race. But in this conversation of race, let's mm. keep it there. Yeah. Right. So repentance is God. Um, um, I, 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 I turn away from the way that I once thought mm -hmm. and I turn towards a new way of thinking. Repentance is not just being sorry. It's being sorry enough to change. Mm. Mm. Wow. And so and so we start there. We start with acknowledging our own biases, our own privileges, our own blindness. That's what we stay. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we and we sit there for a second because that's uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. And, and I tell our white people, I'm like, don't don't try to rush to fix the world. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Just just feel it. Feel the pain. Yeah. Feel it because that's the pain in reality we live in every day as mm -hmm. black and brown folks. So just sit in that. Mm -hmm. And feel that with us, like weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. I think there's a scripture that says something yeah, like yeah, that, right? Yeah. And so, and so, let's sit in that, and yeah. then, and then we move out of that to actual tangible steps. And I think the the next tangible step um, should be something along the line of relationships. Mm. Um, um, I think we should be asking ourselves the question: um, um, What does my dinner table look like? Mm. You know, you know, Jesus. Um, one of the most Jesus has three son of man statements in in the gospel accounts. Only three. Three um, um, self-descriptions of what his ministry focus was. Mm -hmm. um, the first was the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. Mm -hmm. We know that one. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we love that one. Mm -hmm. um, the second one is the Son of Man came to, um, to serve and not be served. Mm -hmm. uh, we know and love that one. But the third one is the one we never talk about. Mm. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Mm. Mm. Think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. Jesus defined his ministry around his dinner table. Mm. Wow. What does our dinner table look like? Yeah. And let's be honest, right? Just reading the Gospels, we know that Jesus' dinner table has some questionable company around <laughs> it. That's right. Jesus, no has, <laughs> no Jesus doubt. has some Pharisees, prince, and prostitutes at his dinner table. No doubt. And so Jesus has everyone of all race, class, and gender at his, din at his dinner table, and everyone of all, of all social and economic backgrounds, and, 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 and everyone of all of uh, 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 criminals and non-criminals and, 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 and Jews and non-Jews and, mm -hmm. and religious and non-religious. Um, why does our dinner table look so segregated? Mm -hmm. wow. um, I, think, I think that's a powerful question um, for the white church to wrestle with is how can I diversify? Because we, we won't change the world unless we change our dinner table. Mm. Wow. We, 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 we won't. I mean, yep. the, the world starts in our world. We can't yeah. change the world without changing our world. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so so uh, to me, it starts there. It starts with relationships. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, the, uh, a friend of mine, an Asian friend, told me a story about um, a white family who wanted to adopt um, a black child. And, and the adoption agency actually had just created a new policy where they said, hey, if, if you're adopting a child of another race, um, there's a set of, there's an assessment you have to go through to get approved in order to do that. Mm -hmm. So they passed every other assessment, like legally, great family, great Christian family, everything else they passed. But now they, they got to this assessment on, on ethnic, on culture and, and race. And so when they got there, the person um, from the adoption agency, you know, asked them a couple of questions. You know, they said, um, um, what, um, what was uh, the skin color of the last three songs, of the artists of the last three songs you listened to? Mm. Um, and they had white and black marbles on the table in a jar then. He said, just put the skin color into a jar. Mm. And so they put the skin, so they put the, the marble in. Then they say, um, what, what was the skin color of the author of the last three books you've read? Mm. And, then, and then they put it in. What was the skin color of the last five people you ate with? Mm. And they put it in. And then, at the end of the t and then at the end of that conversation assessment, they said, look at the jar. Mm. And when that family looked at the jar, what they saw was there wasn't one black marble in it. Mm. It was all white. And what mm. they said was, you're a great family, but you are not fit to raise wow. a black child. Wow. Until you diversify your relationships. Mm. There is no way you can mm. understand what this child who does not look like you will go through in this world. Wow. To me, we change the world when we change our relationships. Wow. Um, and, and, and so I'll just read to you what a pastor friend um, texted me this week. Mm -hmm. um, um, and this to me was, was, was one of the most powerful things I got. He says, hey, Kenny, I spent the week praying, lamenting, and grieving another week of news of her of horrific demonic attack on African-American men. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, as I was praying and thinking, I was thinking about how every family of color has to have the talk mm -hmm. with their children to prepare their kids um, for this foolish systemic oppression. He said, it struck me that it's time for white families to mm -hmm. have our own version of the talk. Mm -hmm. We explain to our children how the systems have been set up in our favor, how the oppression of others has benefited them, and how they have a role to play in ending injustice for their friends. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is how we change the world. Mm -hmm. Repentance and relationships. Mm -hmm. And then I think um, the last step, A.B., is we think about redistribution, right? Mm -hmm. It's back to the question of who's flourishing because we have power. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus had equality with God, but did not consider it as something to be grasped, as mm -hmm. something to be held tightly. Yet he gave that up. And by his poverty, we become rich. Mm -hmm. The question becomes, um, how are we willing to make ourselves poor for the sake of the gospel? Mm -hmm. How are we? See, see race, is not, um, race is not really a, uh, this conversation is not about skin color. This, this conversation is about the gospel. Because mm -hmm. we're Christians first. Yeah. Amen. Right. Yeah. So, so this is a gospel issue. Yeah. Right. I mean, the gospel says there's not a Jew, no Greek, slave, no free, male, no female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. Yeah. And so and so the gospel does not make us color blind. Mm. It makes us it makes us love bound. Mm. Nice. But we're bound yeah. by love yeah. to love one another across those lines that divide. Yeah. And yeah. so how are we willing to redistribute mm. um, some of the power that we have? Um, think about how we vote. Think mm -hmm. about policies, not just not just um, not just on a federal level, but on a local level. Mm -hmm. um, think about policies that affect people that are not of the same ethnicity as me. Mm -hmm. Policies like um, stop and frisk mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that New York City had going for a, a liberal city. Right. So it's mm -hmm. not a conservative or liberal issue, but a liberal city had for many years. This policy called stop and frisk, which was based on the, the notion that, hey, the police um, um, sensed or thought that um, somebody may be committing a crime, they had um, the right to go investigate. Mm -hmm. Perfectly logical 
policy. Mm. The problem was the way it played out. Yeah. It actually became a way to criminalize blackness. Mm. And in that policy, what we saw was though blacks and Latinos only make up half of the population of New York City, they made up for 84% of the stops. Mm. Wow. wow. And not only did they make up for 84% of the stops, um, um, the white people that were stopped were twice as likely to be found with weapons and drugs than mm. the blacks and Latinos, yet they were stopped 84% of the time. Wow, yeah. So it, it just tells us the, where, where the policy problems are, not just federally, but locally. Right. And I think we have to think um, really, really, but that's where re repentance and relationships changes. Yep. Even the way we look at certain policies. Yep. So, yep. so for me, um, I think we have power. We all have some level of power as human beings. Um, the gospel question for every white Christian listening to me today is not do you love um, people of color? I'm, I'm sure you love people of color. But the question just becomes, if who's flourishing because you have power? Mm. And how can your position as white change somebody's position as black? Wow. If you could just do that for one person, you can plant the seed that can change the world. Wow. Amen. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. Man, <laughs> dude, I've learned so much from you. I continue to. Oh, love. man. And not just about this, but even, about, even just about style and sports. Oh, and stop and it, man. Just, stop I just, it, I, just, man. I just hang with you. I get cooler. It's amazing. Hey, uh, hey, uh, I want to read one passage in closing because yes. obviously, yes. you know, I love what you said. We are, we are Christians first and we yes. uh, want to recognize that this isn't a suggestion that we're talking about. This isn't like a, hey, you know, we, we should probably think about doing this so we don't have riots and all that. This isn't, this isn't like a nice thing to do. This is a gospel mandate. And yes. if you are a Christ follower, Christ compels you to do this, not out of guilt, yes. but, out no. of, but by, by, by his grace. And right. so Ephesians chapter two, I'm just gonna read this over us before we close, starting in verse 12. It says, you lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when his body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did it by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Mm. And together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means mm. of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought Ooh. this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace yeah. to the Jews who are near. Now all of us can come together to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Amen. So that's, that's something that's a beautiful that, picture. It's a beautiful picture. It's the, it's the picture of the gospel message. It's what uh, we are compelled to do. It's what we're striving for. And so yeah. uh, I so appreciate you taking the time uh, to share with the us, honor. man. It was so rich. And uh, uh, you know, you know, you know the love I have for you, brother. And I can't, act I can't wait it's to mutual. actually, I can't wait to see you in person, man. Because man. You know, this whole like screen thing is, I'm over it. So it's, I'm so over this. I'm zoomed out, man. I'm just, <laughs> I can't wait to give you a big hug. Man. Oh man, absolutely, absolutely. Forget we're COVID. We're covered by the blood, man. Forget That's COVID. Right. Forget it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get it. We'll get some. We'll get some Italian food in Harlem. They got an Italian food in Harlem, don't they? <laughs> Yes, they do. Hey, man. Hey, uh, why don't uh, why don't why don't you pray and then I'll pray and then we'll close this out. All right. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, that we have a safe space to have this conversation as a church, God. Right. I thank you for traders and Pastor Aaron and his leadership. I thank you for the ways that he is um, prophetically and, and boldly and prayerfully leading the church towards um, reconciliation, but first towards repentance, God. Understanding that um, we do not get reconciliation without getting justice. That in the cross, Jesus, you satisfied the wrath of God, which was his justice against human sin. And then you led to reconciliation, God. And so I just I just pray for Aaron, God, in his ministry. I pray over traders, God, and every person that calls it home. Um, I just pray, God, that you will uh, give a, a double anointing and a special blessing over, the, over that church in Indianapolis, God, that they can lead a gospel move that goes far beyond Indy, God, and far beyond um, 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 every location uh, there, but toward the ends of the earth, God, where they can tell a story of what unity in the gospel really looks like, Father. I'm praying for a move across the nation of all churches, of all ethnicities, um, that you bring us back to a Pentecost moment, God, mm -hmm. where we can all be one in Christ, God, knowing that we're ethnically different and racially different and not removing our differences, but rather dignifying them, God. Um, not viewing our differences as dangerous, but viewing our differences with dignity. God, that is the move you want to do in, in your church. And it is a last days move, God. And so I pray that you get us ready um, for your coming back for your church, God. And I thank you um, um, for what Pastor Aaron is doing. I thank you for what you've allowed us to be a part of and how you've allowed us to partner with him, God. Allow both churches to continue mm. to be a blessing to each other. We, mm. we ask this in Jesus' name. Mm. Father, I just want to lift up Pastor Kenny to you and I thank you so much for his friendship and his example and his voice. Uh, you've given him a, a unique prophetic voice that is able to uh, be so clear and passionate and yet at the same time so approachable, so human and so loving and so Christ-like. And so Father, uh, I, I just ask that there would be uh, a whole lot of people that would just be blessed by this conversation, that they would uh, maybe begin to, to see some things that maybe they've never been able to see before, that there really would be a spirit of brokenness and humility that's not based out of guilt or shame, but it's based on, on grace. And so Father, nice. I just want to lift up the gathering to you. I, I love that church. I love what they're doing. Uh, and God, I just ask that you would continue to sustain them through this difficult time, give them strength. I know that they're tired and they're hurting. And God, I pray that you would uh, fill them up and uh, be with them uh, as they uh, seek to be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, in the midst of Harlem and beyond. And so God, it's a it's a, an honor to be able to come together as uh, two uh, churches that are in two different cities, but we can be united by the same spirit of Christ. And so yes. Father, our, our world is hurting right now. Uh, yes. uh, the entire world, America specifically, is just on its knees right now. And we pray for you to make a way. We pray for you to create the path out of this, that, it, that there would be true change, reconciliation, and healing that would come. Mm. And we pray that the church, the, the big C church, would lead the way through this. And uh, we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, man. Love you, AB, man. Love it's an you, honor. Yeah, likewise, Love you guys. Man. Love you, traders. Can't wait to see you in person. Yeah, we'll make it happen soon. All right, man. All right, man.